Welcome. Welcome in to Sports Talk Chicago. All gas, no brakes. If you're looking for the same old sports talk, get out! You've come to the wrong place. Hey, we ain't come this far just to come this far, you hear me? I tell you what I see, I tell you the truth. We going hard today. We're fearless, bold, and highly opinionated. This here show. This show is so hot right now. The biggest guests, the hottest takes, and the best interviews live right here. Do you actually remind me of Dan Patrick? Because you ask great questions, you have the knack, you have the gift. On Sports Talk Chicago. Yo, Chicago. Here's your host. The guy's an absolute stud. John Zagul. Hello, everybody, and welcome into Sports Talk Chicago. Great to see everybody here on a Sunday afternoon from our beautiful studios in Chicago. My name is John Zagul. Your host, John Meadows, is directing and producing. We're presented by our great sponsor, Amish Country Farms, for the best Amish food in all of Chicagoland. Hit up Amish Country Farms today in Orland Park and tell them Sports Talk Chicago sent you. We're live on YouTube, Twitch, and Facebook at Sports Talk Chicago. You can follow me personally at John Z Sports all over social media. And we have a lot to get to on today's program. Our lead story is the following. There's a new suitor for the Bears with the number one overall pick. It's a team you probably don't expect, and they could be paying a King's Ranch up to move up from 11 to number one. We'll discuss in just a second. Jose Abreu's come out and talked about the White Sox from last year saying, quote, we weren't a family, and that could be a reason why he left the team, signed a three-year deal with Houston. Plus, the Cubs, after years of mediocrity in the leadoff spot, might have found a new leadoff hitter, and he's doing real well during spring training. We're going to discuss and explain why this could be the answer for them long term. Appreciate all of you tuning in with us. So many stories to get to be a part of the conversation. Comments right here live on Twitch, Facebook, and YouTube. We'll read all your comments on air. And make sure you subscribe to the podcast as well. If you miss any parts of today's program, hit us up on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. iHeartRadio, we are there. We're live everywhere. You can listen to the program in its entirety or by segment in case you miss anything on today's show. Let us start today with this. There's a new suitor for the Bears at number one, and it's a team you probably didn't expect or didn't really think about moving forward. All we've heard about week in and week out are the Colts and the Texans. Will the Texans move up from two to one? Will the Colts move up from four to one? Or will they give up? Who's interested? Who needs a quarterback? It turns out this team that I'm about to tell you doesn't necessarily need a quarterback today, but may need one tomorrow. And they're very interested in Bryce Young. Now, here's a quote from Charlie Campbell, NFL Draft Insider. After trading away Russell Wilson a year ago, it was a common belief that the Seattle Seahawks would be in the quarterback market during the 2023 NFL Draft. However, a surprisingly good 2022 season of the veteran Geno Smith led Seattle to the playoffs, and many have assumed that the free agent Smith will return to the franchise and be their starter in 2023. Although this is likely, Seattle is doing their due diligence on all the quarterback prospects for the 2023 NFL Draft, and sources say that they love Alabama QB Bryce Young. How about that big news out of Seattle here today, breaking this morning on Sunday? So yet another team has emerged as a potential contender for this top spot. Texans are still in, Colts are still in, Carolina could be in, but Seattle now all of a sudden is very interested in Bryce Young. Don't blame them. Bryce Young's going to be a very solid quarterback in the NFL, I believe. But I think this whole situation is intriguing because they have a quarterback. 
And there's a lesson to be learned here, and we could discuss that in a second, but I'll touch on it here for a minute too. You can never be too safe, and you can never look too far into the future for your quarterback position. I like Geno Smith. I contended he should have gotten MVP votes this year for what he did for Seattle. I mean, imagine trading away your franchise QB who wins you Super Bowls. You bring in somebody who you really don't know, journeyman quarterback his entire career. He comes in, throws 30 touchdowns, leads the league in completion percentage, breaks your single-season franchise record for most passing yards in a year, and leads you to a 9-8 and record and a playoff appearance. All that happened, and by the way, entering the season, in training camp even, Geno Smith was battling for the starting spot with Drew Locke. There was no guarantee Geno Smith would be the starter, let alone do what he did for Seattle last year. He deserves some sort of long-term commitment. And Seattle may overpay for him, but unfortunately, because of his performance last year, he deserves it, unlike Daniel Jones or other quarterbacks who put up a good year, have a good team around them, and then they get a big payday. Geno Smith carried the Seahawks last year by far. If, if Geno Smith even played a notch below what he did, Seattle would not have made the playoffs go 9-8. and They wouldn't have even been 9-8. and They would have been 6-11. Maybe 7-10 and if they were lucky. Geno Smith was the main reason why they made it in and why he will get a payday, why he will be starting for Seattle next year. That's it. Gino's a rookie, or I'm sorry, Gino's a veteran, but he's a journeyman. We don't know what he's going to be doing in the next two, three, four, five years. We know he had one good year, first ever good year he's ever had. Could he replicate that? I don't know. Seattle will have to sign him because of what he did last year. That said, you need to have an insurance policy in case things go wrong. If Gino Smith shows up this year, 20 pounds overweight, doesn't try hard in the offseason, doesn't train, gets paid all this money, and starts off the season going, I don't know, two and four, five touchdowns, eight picks or something, they could bring in a rookie quarterback with promise, like Bryce Young. I'm not surprised that Pete Carroll and company are interested in Bryce Young either. It makes sense. Here's more of that quote from Charlie Campbell, insider. From speaking with Seahawks sources, it did not sound like the Seahawks were going to move on from Smith and give up the farm to move up for Young. However, Seattle said to love Young, and if the franchise loses Geno Smith in free agency too, that could also change the organization's thinking. So, point being, there's another suitor for Bryce Young, and in order to get Bryce Young, they may have to go through the Bears to get to that top spot. It would be a gamble for Seattle to wait till 11 to see if Bryce Young's still available. Keyword, he won't be. It'll be a gamble for them to wait till number two or number three, number four, to see if Bryce Young is still available. So now they're in this situation where they may be obliged to trade up. And if Geno Smith somehow left, which I doubt is going to happen, but if it did, they're going to be really desperate and really needy. They're going to really need a quarterback. So this is very interesting, and that's why the title of this video is that the Bears have a new potential trade partner for the top pick, because they do. We have never heard Seattle mentioned or named in regards to trading up for that top pick. We didn't even know Seattle was interested in Bryce Young till today. New report. We knew about Houston, and they need a quarterback. We knew about Indianapolis. They, too, need a quarterback. Carolina, potentially, they may need a quarterback, depending on what their plans are. Seattle, yes and no. 
We knew Geno Smith would be the answer for maybe next year, the year after, but long-term, maybe in four or five years, not so much. That's probably the worst position to be into if you're an NFL team. Like, Geno Smith did so well last year, but is he a long, long-term option? No. So you're really taking a gamble, taking a risk in keeping him and then hoping for four or five more years of 2022 production. Same with Daniel Jones and the Giants. I mean, the Giants could draft a new quarterback today, and I would not be unhappy with that decision. Is Daniel Jones going to do what he did last year for four or five more years, and last year wasn't even that impressive to begin with? Probably not. Yet you're going to pay him and be strapped to him, and you're going to pay a mid-level quarterback top dollars and be stuck with him for years to come. Look at the Cowboys and Dak Prescott. How'd that work out for them? And by the way, they want to pay Dak another contract. Good luck ever making the Super Bowl. (laughs) That's the goal. It always seems as if there are about 10 quarterbacks in the NFL at one time who could make a Super Bowl in any given season. And then there are 20 quarterbacks and 20 teams who have mid-level to mediocre quarterback play, and that always holds them back. So the question is, you could have stability at the quarterback position, but that doesn't mean you're going to win a Super Bowl. Look at Derek Carr and the Raiders, right? Raiders had stability. Derek Carr is a quality quarterback, but he's not a Super Bowl-caliber quarterback, and now he's gone. And after all these years, the Raiders are kind of in flux, but at the same time, what are they really losing? They haven't made a Super Bowl with Derek Carr. Same now with Seattle and probably with other teams in this situation, potentially Carolina, other teams too. Seattle has Geno Smith. I love Geno Smith. I have so much respect for him. I think he did great. He deserved MVP votes. But Geno Smith could play like this for five more years. Is Seattle going to win a Super Bowl? Probably not. Not because of Geno Smith necessarily, but partially him, partially the team around him. It's just not a situation where you could say they're Super Bowl winners. They're Super Bowl contenders. The NFL is weird like that, but that's the way the cookie crumbles, I guess. There are usually only five to ten quarterbacks every year where you could say, yeah, he could be in the Super Bowl. Everybody else, you're kind of on your own, and maybe somebody catches fire late and moves forward like a Nick Foles slash Carson Wentz. But usually, they never get you to where you want to be, but yet you're still stuck with them and obligated to them because there's stability involved. So it's a really weird situation if you're a quarterback. And if you're a team. It's hard to distinguish what to hold on to, how long to hold on to somebody, and then when it's time to make a change. So Seattle is in that situation now, and the Bears have a chance to prop it off it. And if I were the Bears here, I would do a great job at keeping this going. And that's all I would say. I think the camera's off, John. Maybe. <laughs> Well, we still have audio going, and we're still going to keep going. A little bit of a uh, technical difficulty there. We're going to be back. We're still going here. John's Glow, Sports Talk Chicago. Hang with us. But, it, yeah, it's just, it, it's weird. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, we're going to talk to the chat right now as we uh, figure out what's going on with our camera. We're good. We're okay. Appreciate all of you hanging here with us. Darius Morgan. Hey, John. Glad I could catch you live. Yeah, Darius, great to see you. Mike, hey, Mike Feeney from Connecticut, John Z. Great to see you. Great to see you as well, Mike. Your thoughts about Patrick Mahomes' brother? I got no thoughts about that. 
uh, King Fuki Nation. He, uh, if he did indeed do what he did, he's going to have to face the consequences for his actions. That's a fact. Just heard the Bears' asking price for outside the top five is 2023, 2024, 2025 first-round pick, along with the 2023 second-rounder. And Darius, I'll tell you, that is what you have to demand if you're the Bears. That's exactly what you have to demand. It, it's the best way to go about it. You should be demanding a king's ransom for what's going to come in. You have to. You have to. All these um, teams trying to move up. Somebody like Seattle trying to go up 10 picks. Yeah, you better expect to pay up a lot to get up there. So that's very important. By the way, we're back on camera. John Meadows, my guy, getting everything fixed up on the back end. But Darius, you're right. I mean, that is the correct asking price, in my opinion. You can never ask for too much in this situation. You can never ask for too much. Hey, you're going to force Seattle to move up 10 spots, then you damn well better be forcing them to give up everything to get there. If they really want Bryce Young, if this report's correct and they're really in love with Bryce Young, then force them to pay up to get him, plain and simple. And if they really don't love him, they won't pay up. And that's when you know this report's BS. We are going to find out on draft night and in the ensuing days after whether or not all this reporting is real or wrong. If Seattle really loves Bryce Young, keyboard loves, they're going to move up and give up everything to take him in. Plain and simple. That's it. And if they don't, they don't. That trade proposal, Darius, I think would be amazing for the Bears, and I would say that is certainly fair for what they should be demanding, what they should be getting in return. So we have a new suitor. A new team has entered the chat regards to the Bears' top pick. If Seattle is willing to move up 10 spots to get to number one and take their guy, then they better be ready to pay. Key. And if they love Bryce Young, they better be ready to pay. And that's it. Yanni Zentafis, my guy Yanni, best friend in the chat, Bears really need to look to trade back twice. Yanni, I'm with you. And you know, as we think, maybe Seattle at number 11. Seattle, if they want to move up to number one, they got to give up everything. If the Bears want to move back to nine, potentially, and, and make trades, they could do that too. So here's the opportunity for the Bears to do something. TC Crypto, good point too. Seattle has the fifth and 20th pick in the first round too. I don't know why this article said number 11. Maybe the article was a little bit wrong on the draft positioning, but you're right, they do have number five via the Broncos. So, yeah, I mean, there's so many different ways this could go. And I think at the end of the day, at least for the Bears and for Seattle, who's going to be a suitor, and all these other teams involved, the main lesson is the following. you got to give up a lot to get to that number one pick. And if you come out and say you're very interested or you're in love with a certain player, be prepared to pay up. But I give Seattle credit for even being interested. They are looking ahead, and they're doing a great job. Uh, Geno Smith, as much as I appreciated what he did last year, he is not going to keep doing that for five more years. Eventually, you will need a new quarterback. It's a matter of now or in a couple of more years. So why not make that move now, be proactive about the situation, and see if Bryce Young fits. And if he's available, then take him and do it. And if not, wait till next year and move up to get him. If you're really not in love with him, you move up now, you embrace 
the pain of giving up too much, and you take Bryce Young and you run with him for the next 10 to 15 years. And that doesn't mean Geno Smith gets benched immediately. That means maybe you sit him for a year and he learns behind Smith. Maybe Smith screws up as a bad season, put in Bryce Young. We don't know how that's going to play out and what's going to happen. But I think it's well worth Seattle doing their due diligence and thinking about whether or not they should draft a QB. I think they should. I think it'd be very smart for them. And that's not, again, a slight at all to Geno Smith. It's, I need to protect my franchise in five years. I need to be proactive, not wait till the last minute, then be screwed and have to go through a long, long rebuild for really no reason because I wasn't proactive today. Always be ahead of the curve in the NFL. That's how you're going to be okay. That's how you're going to withstand a regime change or a quarterback change or a team change, team turnover. Being proactive will protect you from situations like in Tampa. Look at Tampa today. Tom Brady, gone. I read a report today that said Baker Mayfield and Drew Locke are being seriously considered to replace Tom Brady. There's a team who is totally screwed. There's a team who is not proactive and wondering, what should we do when Tom Brady retires? They drafted Kyle Trask, who's been a complete bust. They have nobody behind Tom Brady. And now... They're pursuing Baker Mayfield and Drew Locke to replace him. They're going to be near the bottom of the division for years to come until they find a new quarterback. There's a team who is not proactive. So I give Seattle credit, even if they do nothing in this draft, at least they have the mindset of, look, Geno Smith won't be here forever. we got to be ready and be careful. That's it. I appreciate that attitude and that discussion. Buccaneers did it wrong, and they're going to be screwed, and they're going to pay for this for years to come. Seattle may never go under because they have somebody behind Geno Smith, so when he regresses or retires, they know exactly what's going to happen. They have a succession plan, and they're ready to go. This is Sports Talk Chicago with John Zaglow, John Meadows directing and producing. Join the conversation and comment on YouTube, Twitch, and Facebook. We're live at all three of those places. At Sports Talk Chicago. Jose Abreu is back in the news. White Sox are back in the news, too. We have some breaking news and reports about Mike Clevenger that we're going to share in a second. But I wanted to read this article to you. saw this this week, and I had to say I was not surprised, but taken aback by what Abreu said. So we were all wondering this offseason why Jose Abreu left. Now, White Sox probably didn't offer him what he wanted. Older guy, 36 years old, got a three-year deal from Houston, which, hey, good for him. A 36 years old getting a three-year commitment from any team in baseball. It's unbelievable. But Abreu now spoke out about what happened to the White Sox last season, why 2022 didn't go the way it was supposed to go. Abreu said the White Sox were not a family in 2022. He said this, quote, Sometimes when you're at a place where maybe you're not being respected to the point where you think you should be, you just have to go somewhere else. Jose Abreu coming out and making a big statement this past week. I don't blame him for those comments. And in fact, I find it a little bit disgraceful that... The White Sox didn't make as much of an effort to retain him, but then also what happened last year probably had a profound effect on him. Now, I don't know the specifics of what went on inside the locker room. I wasn't there. But obviously the team underperformed, 
guys were not getting along. All year long, it seemed as if nobody ever clicked. Their performances never improved enough. They just kind of stagnated and didn't go too well. And now Jose Abreu has something to say about it. And the whole idea about respect, I kind of get it. I kind of understand what he's talking about here. The lack of respect, rather. What did the White Sox offer him this year? Hey, he got a three-year commitment for a team that never, ever employed him or never even knew him. And I guarantee you this, Jose Abreu is going to do just fine in Houston. And last year, he did just fine in the White Sox uniform, despite what everybody wants to say. Abreu still hit above 300, 305, had about 15 home runs. He did great for his age, played every game still, and performed, despite what everybody wants to say. He may not have had the power numbers that he had before, but he was the only player of the White Sox with a 300 batting average, the only player in the entire team who hit 300. That's it. Nobody else did it. That's impressive to me. Somebody at 36 years old still setting the example and getting the job done. Abreu had 183 hits, 15 homers, which everybody's going to complain about that number, but a 304 average. And Jose Abreu in his career, believe it or not, if he could play maybe another five or six more years, I don't know if he will at his age, and continue this production, could even be a borderline Hall of Fame candidate. Based on these numbers, 100% yes. And the fact that he put all this up in a White Sox uniform, it makes him a legend. I mean, 1,400 hits, 243 home runs, 292 batting average. He won an MVP with the White Sox, one rookie of the year with the White Sox, played with them for nine years. This is one of the most successful stretches in White Sox history for any player that they've ever had. And that's a fact. And Sox fans, you could put that to the test. It's 100% true. So I can understand why there's no respect. And this is different, by the way, than maybe the Cubs and the whole Rizzo, Baez, Bryant situation. See, those guys didn't perform. The respect was lost, and deservedly so. They went through a World Series hangover. They never replicated what 2016 was. And uh, out of the blue, they sucked. And they weren't winning. I found it hard to say that it was Jose Abreu's fault as to why the White Sox didn't do anything significant in 2022. Jose Abreu performed the same way he's always performed. Nothing's ever changed. Last year, a great example of a consistent performance from Abreu. Nothing changed. Anthony Rizzo sucked his last year. Chris Bryant still sucks. Javier Baez still sucks. All of them. That's why they lost respect. That's why they were traded away. Jose Abreu did not deserve to lose respect. He was still performing. It's not his fault. Nobody else performed. There was cancer inside the locker room. There were so many problems. Obviously, it didn't affect him. He was still performing. So I don't understand why there was a loss of respect or why he felt that way when he should have been revered by the White Sox. Honestly, at the end of the day, when Abreu retires, if his number is not retired and if his face isn't put on the outfield wall, then it's a travesty. Jose Abreu is one of the best White Sox of all time. And that's not blowing smoke. Been there nine years. Great track record. Won a couple of significant awards. He's one of the greatest White Sox players to ever play on that team. 
Now, the fact that he felt disrespected when last year he hit about 300, only by Sox player to do it and still performed is a shame. And it goes to show you what was really going on for the White Sox in 2022. There were a lot of problems. And even Tim Anderson's comments the past couple of weeks, I had Ozzie Guillen on a couple of weeks ago. We talked about those two. Ridiculous. Hey, guys, play better. You're going to be criticized if you suck. Play better then. You're going to be criticized if you suck. You're going to be criticized if you can't win games. You're going to be criticized if you go 81 and 81 and you should be a World Series contender. Of course that's going to happen. So of course, there's a lack of respect. I, I understand what Abreu is talking about, and I feel for him because he is a quality baseball player. So I can understand why he left. I wanted to make sure I addressed those comments today because they're very important and they ring true. And this is not the same as the Cubs and Rizzo and Brian and Baez. They suck near the end. They deserve to be traded. They deserve to be cut. If there was a way to cut them outright, send them to AAA, you should have done that. Abreu was still performing. He left. Good for him. Shame of the White Sox for making him feel disrespected. Another quick note developing as of about an hour ago. Mike Clevenger has been cleared of all wrongdoing or potential charges in regards to a domestic abuse situation. No penalty for him, no suspension, and he's supposed to be playing. Shocked by that end result based on what details were out there and what happened. Nevertheless, it's true. And that's kind of a big win for the White Sox on the field-wise. Now, the controversy that comes with it, not good. But as far as on the field, they just gained back their fourth or fifth starter for the rest of this season now, assuming he stays healthy. Now, all of a sudden, the White Sox have a viable kind of rotation. You have Giolito, you have Lance Lynn, now you have Clevenger, you got Kopech. You got some guys in this rotation who can still perform and still put up numbers and hopefully could even improve based on last season. Plus, Dylan Cease. Here's their five right now, according to their depth chart online. Giolito, Lynn, Cease, Kopech, Clevenger. I have to say, quietly, that's one of the best rotations in baseball. Now with Clevenger entering the fray. And if all them, now this is unrealistic, but if all them play at their peak, this could be an amazing rotation. If Lucas Giolito, Lynn, Cease, Kopech, and Clevenger can replicate their best seasons this year, we're talking about a shutout, lights-out rotation. If not, still, we're talking about a quality rotation. When Michael Kopech and or Mike Clevenger are going to be your fifth starter, you're doing something right. And Kopech did great last year in limited time. Lovinger, usually, despite last year being about league average, is okay, pretty good. And Giolito, Lynn, and Cease are your dogs at the top of the rotation. Should be, at least. This is a big win for the White Sox, whether you agree with it or not, whether you feel that way or not. I don't like the details that come with the Clevenger situation at all. Uh, I don't even want to talk about them. They're very wrong. Look at it on your own. They're not good, but... As far as a pure baseball perspective, a pure on-the-field perspective, this is a huge, huge win for the White Sox. I'm just saying you got to really be thinking about it now. 
Sox fans have a lot to be optimistic about after this news that came out. You have probably one of the best rotations down all of baseball on paper. You can't convince me otherwise on that. I mean, look at this rotation. Again, Cease, Giolito, Lynn, Kopech, Clevenger. My goodness. That's a World Series-type rotation, and that's a fact. That's a World Series-type rotation. Everybody plays according to their capability and their potential. I give them credit. It's big news for the White Sox. It's a huge win for the White Sox. I did want to come out and say that to you. That's developing news as of literally two hours ago. We just came on the air with this. Mike Clevenger is going to be back. And now all of a sudden, the White Sox, I'll tell you, with that rotation, it's going to be very hard for them to be bad this year, unless everybody just totally does nothing and has five ERAs, which I don't expect. If all these pitchers stay healthy and perform to their potential, the White Sox, via their pitching alone, will win this division. And I'm saying it right now. If this pitching stays healthy, if they perform according to their potential, they're winning the division easily. How could you not win the division? How could you not even be a playoff team with this rotation? It would be a cataclysmic failure if the Sox don't make the playoffs now with these five pitchers at the helm. And I mean that. And that's a challenge issue to the White Sox to come through and get something done. This is actually a great rotation. If you are not winning the division or at least making the playoffs with these five pitchers, you've done something completely wrong. This is a challenge, and I'm issuing this to the White Sox today. There is no reason why you should not win the division with this five-man rotation now that we know Clevenger's back in the mix. Say what you want about the -the off-the-field stuff. I don't even like it. But on paper, these five pitchers, Sox team should be everywhere. They should be so much improved. We'll see how it ends up playing out, but I think it's important to note that they should be good this year. Michael says, still a trash bullpen, no defense, and garbage offense. Well, I mean, the bullpen could have problems because Liam Hendricks is going through some cancer treatment right now, so you're losing your closer. That could be a problem. Um, Their offense is going to be pretty good, though, as far as I know. Uh, Colas is hitting above 500 so far. Their top prospect in spring training is probably going to make the team. You've got your usuals coming back. Tim Anderson's going to be back. I mean, I think they're going to be better than you think offensively. You got Anderson, Stale, Luis Robert, Aloy Jimenez, who's lost about 20 to 30 pounds entering spring training. Elvis Andrews is back, who did very good for them last year in 43 games. There's a situation and a possibility for this team to still play well and still produce offensively. I don't know if they're really garbage offensively yet. Matt Nagy, future White Sox skipper. Yeah, right, Michael. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a good one. See how that would go, huh? I like Rizzo. Okay. Uh, Darius, respect is huge, especially when the players who aren't getting it have shown the character and honor of deserving respect, similar to the Cubs with Rizzo, Brian Contreras, sickening. Um, I'll agree with you on the Contreras part because Contreras till the end still performed, but Rizzo and Bryant lost respect deservedly so because of their performance. And this is where I stand And baseball. And a coach taught me this. Coach taught me this, actually. What have you done for me lately? That's what baseball is. It's a what have you done for me lately sport. 
So Rizzo, Bryant, Baez, Contreras, you want to lump him in there too, won the World Series in 2016. What does that have to do with 2019 and 2020? Absolutely nothing other than that was your peak in 2016. All of you guys suck. Time to get you out of here. That's what happened. You're going to lose respect if you don't perform anymore or if you hit a roadblock and then you have a World Series hangover like the Cubs did. That should have been a dynasty team, and they were not. That was a failure. Everybody involved, Theo, Jed, and the players. So, yes, you're going to lose respect when you don't perform. That's the problem. See, Abreu, in my opinion, never stopped performing. I mean, look at these numbers for Jose Abreu. Every year, it was just consistent and good and just outstanding numbers. You could argue his worst year was in 2018, 22 homers, 78 RBIs, still hit 265. That was probably his worst year. Every other year, he's been solid. 150 games every year except 2018. 150-plus games every year. And putting up quality numbers, Jose Abreu never deserved a loss of respect. Rizzo, Bryant, Baez, who, you know, weren't hitting, striking out hundreds of times, were causing the Cubs to be an under 500 team or around a 500 team in 2019. Yes, they deserve to lose respect. That core won a World Series three years ago and have never been the same since. Jose Abreu performed every single year, no matter where the White Sox were, and he still got shafted. Different story about respect and losing it in baseball. Sports Talk Chicago, Herbert Johns, John Meadows directing and producing. One more segment to go here on this lively show. I appreciate all of you hanging here with us. Remember to join the conversation and comment for us on the YouTube, Twitch, and Facebook live feeds. Read those comments right here on the air. We're sponsored by our good friends at Amish Country Farms for the best Amish food in all of Chicagoland. Hit them up today in Orland Park. Tell them Sports Talk Chicago sent you. Well, last segment of the day today, and we have uh, more baseball news, rather. The Chicago Cubs, after years of searching high and wide for a new leadoff hitter, might have just found one. Now it's not Anthony Brizzo. Not Kyle Schwarber, who's hitting about 210. It's Nico Horner. Nico Horner's been hitting leadoff so far during spring training. David Ross says, quote, when I look at Nico, it's about setting a tone for our group to start a game. He's as ready to go as anybody I've been around. Something about the way he plays sets a great tone for our team. I have been critical of David Ross. I don't even think he deserved to be the Cubs manager. He got the job because he won the World Series, and he's everybody's friend. But in reality, he's right. Couldn't be more right about this situation. Nico Horner is a quality player. I've always liked Nico Horner. I've always been high on Nico Horner. Not everybody else has because they want more power or more this or that out of him. I will take a 300 batting average every single year, no questions asked. I don't care if your OPS plus is an 80 or 94 or it's not high enough. If you are hitting 300, you are my best friend. You know, everybody likes to crap on players like, or sabermetric people, like to crap on players like Juan Pierre, Garrett Anderson. Those guys were hitting 300 every single year. You knew it was going to happen. And yet, oh, their sabermetrics aren't good enough. They don't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. They don't deserve any consideration. B.S., They were quality players. Just because you don't hit 50 home runs a season doesn't mean you're a bad baseball player. Everybody has a role to play. David Ross is rightfully showing what role Nico Horner has with this team. He is a leadoff man, true and true. 
And ever since Dexter Fowler left, it's been a consistent search as to who's going to lead off for the Cubs, who's it going to be, and they, they tested other people. They tested Rizzo, kind of worked, but not really. Schwarber, definitely not. Kyle Schwarber is the furthest thing from a leadoff man. Nico Horner, yes, 100%. Hits 300 every year, always finds a way to get on base, makes contact literally all the time. That's why his OPS is so low because he doesn't walk enough. Nico Horner is just a solid baseball player. He is the future for the Cubs up the middle. Too. Now you got Dansby Swanson and Nico Horner at second base and shortstop. That is an outstanding combination up the middle. Defensively, for sure, and even a little bit offensively. Nico, though, I would argue, is a better offensive player than Dansby Swanson. And they still haven't paid him yet. They're still working out a potential contract extension for Nico Horner. I would pay him now. You pay Dansby Swanson $177 million, did $250. Come on now. Nico Horner's hitting 300, playing gold glove caliber defense, and now could be your leadoff man. He deserves a legitimate payday. That's somebody who actually deserves it and who is worth every penny for what he ends up earning. By far. But I just smiled at this report when I saw it. I was so happy that it came out because this is much-deserved praise from his colleagues and his peers for Nico. I mean, last year, my gosh, 281, 10 home runs. See, an OPS plus of only 107. Oh, Nico Horner sucks. No, Nico Horner had 55 RBIs, 20 stolen bases, 10 homers. I mean, he was great last year. And 281 to me is amazing for somebody like him in his situation. Played very good defensively. And for sabermetric friends, he had a 4.4 war. So even though his OPS plus wasn't high enough, how do you explain the 4.4 war then? He was a he was the most valuable player the Cubs had last year. Not even kidding, based on war. According to war, he was the best player the Cubs had. Him and Ian half tied for first. Even above Wilson Contreras in war. Nico Horner is going to be 26 years old and has, has the whole world ahead of him. I don't know if he's going to be a Hall of Fame player. I don't see that happening. But he could certainly be a stalwart for the uh, for the Cubs for the next 10 to 15 years if he plays at this level. Where's he going to go? If he continues to perform and hit 270, 280, 290, maybe even higher, plays good defense at 10 to 15 home runs a year, steals 20 bags, I'm so happy. That's, that's amazing. There's nothing more you can ask up from Nico Horner in his role, in his situation. Now he's going to be the leadoff man. Go get him, man. You stole 20 bags last year. You know how to get on base. You know how to make contact with the baseball, not just walk, 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 but actually swing the bat. Nico Horner is an old man's best friend when it comes to baseball. If he was playing in the 80s or the 90s before all this sabermetric crap, he would be revered. And he still is now, even with all this sabermetric stuff. I'm a huge fan of Nico Horner. I think he has so much to offer moving forward for the Cubs. And I just appreciate the fact that he's getting the recognition that he deserves. He's always had recognition because he's been a top prospect, but it's nice to see him perform and get real recognition from his peers, too. Hey, you know what? You're going to be the leadoff guy. Congratulations. That's a huge honor. Cubs have been looking to fill that spot since Dexter Fowler. And the fact that Anthony Rizzo was tried out, Kyle Schwerber was tried out, Rafael Ortega, who's a journeyman, was tried out. Goes to show you there's some respect there. Talk about respect, but 
Jose Abreu, how about respect for Nico Horner? He's receiving it, and he earned it, though, too. Last year was a great season. Needs to build off that last year. If he could do last year 10 times in a row, could be a Hall of Famer. Not kidding. Based on numbers, based on sabermetrics, he could be a Hall of Famer if he does that for 10 years. So here's the opportunity to start building that. Here's the opportunity to run with what you've been given from David Ross. I think it's an outstanding situation. I think it's well-deserved for Nico Horner. And I'm looking forward to seeing him this year with the Cubs do what he did last year and hopefully more. I've always liked Nico. That kid can flat-out play Ernest. You're 100% right. Ancient astronaut 300 is hard. Yes, you're right. Mike Feeney, slap hitters. Exactly. All of you guys I know are older and understand the importance of somebody like Horner on your team. Nobody today understands. Nobody today cares. They're looking for a walk, home run, or a strikeout. Nobody understands the importance of putting bat to ball and, and swinging instead of just looking for a walk, getting on base, forcing players to make plays. Somebody like you know, Juan Pierre did that. I bring him up. Kenny Lofton did that. Kenny Lofton wasn't walking. I'm thinking of prolific leadoff hitters in our time. Ricky Henderson did that. They swung the bat. They were looking to, to, to get a hit, to get on base, and then steal bases too. And Nico last year with 20 stolen bases. Now they made the bases bigger too. We could be seeing 30 stolen bases from Nico this year. Maybe 10 to 15 home runs, a 280 batting average, good defense. Getting on base more, maybe 150, 160 hits. That's amazing for Nico Horner. So I think there's so much to see from him, and I'm just so excited to see what happens. He's a table setter, and Horner and Swanson are very good up the middle, says Wally, and you're 100% right, too. I think that's one of the best duos at second base and shortstop in all of baseball, and that's on paper. We'll see how they perform this year, but after this season, we'll get a good idea of what they're capable of. And I think if both of them play according to their potential, watch out. That'll be one of the best duos up the middle in all of baseball. You heard it here first. <clears throat> want to end today with a quick sidestep before we sign off today. I appreciate all of you hanging with us and tuning in here on this Sunday afternoon. Got some really tough news this morning. Friend of the program, who many of you have known and have followed for a couple of years with me on this show, Dave Wills, the Tampa Bay Rays radio voice, Passed away today, 58 years old. Apparently, he went to bed and just didn't wake up, according to some reports. Um, Dave was a welcome guest on this show. He came on so many times. Chicagoland native, born and raised in Oak Lawn, went to Elmhurst University, and then also coached at the University of Chicago, my alma mater, uh, before eventually landing the Tampa Bay Rays radio gig in 2005. He came on this show many a time and told me the story. There were about 400 audition tapes sent in. <laughs> 400 for the Rays in 05. He was selected along with his partner, Andrew Freed. They were just ranked last year as the best radio broadcasting duo in all of baseball. According to The Athletic, they did a reader poll, about 5,000 readers. They ranked them number one. Dave Wills and Andy Freed. Um, so just a really... Uh, tough situation. Dave, of course, before, a lot of ties to Chicago, uh, hosted pre and post for the White Sox for a number of years, back when they were on ESPN 1000 in the early 2000s. Broadcasted Kane County Cougars baseball. He was the first ever broadcaster for the Kane County Cougars. Also was the PR guy for the Chicago Bruisers, <laughs> an old American or um, arena football league team back in the 80s, early 90s. Also did some UIC baseball as well. So, 
Dave Wills, 58 years old, a great friend of this program, a great friend of mine, really. Uh, very nice guy, always willing to help, gave me some great advice in this business as a young up-and-coming person. Um, very gracious with his time, and just a very sweet person, good guy, good family man, Chicago native. Uh, he will certainly be missed, and he'll be missed on this show, and I'm sure he's going to be missed by many people, uh, whether it's in the Tampa Bay area, whether it's here in Chicago too. So rest in peace today, Will's 58 years old. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Great show today, great time to be with all of you here on this Saturday, or this Sunday afternoon, my goodness. John Meadows, our good friend, directing and producing, making sure everything worked behind the scenes. Great job by him today, and thank you to all of you for tuning in. We're sponsored by our good friends at Amish Country Farms. Find them in Orland Park. Tell them Sports Talk Chicago sent you. You can follow us at John Z Sports all over social media, and we're always live on Twitch, Facebook, and YouTube. Subscribe there at Sports Talk Chicago. We will see you Wednesday. Until then, so long, everyone.